0: All right, it's good to be in the Lord's house today, this Sunday before Christmas. We have a special day today. We do have several baptisms at the end of our service. I think we have like six baptisms today, so really excited about that. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. We started a new series uh, this past Sunday entitled Searching for Christmas. And what we're doing is kind of looking at some of the different names uh, that is given to the Messiah Uh, from Isaiah. And last week we looked at Isaiah, but we also referenced uh, Matthew chapter 1, where Jesus is called Emmanuel and talked about the significance of that. So what we're going to do today is uh, really primarily for this series for the next week or two, we're just going to be focused on verse 6 and explaining kind of what these different names mean and the significance of it. And what we're doing in this series, Searching for Christmas, we're trying to uncover and discover if there's more to the story than what we even think. How many have ever watched a TV show or movie and it left you hanging? Don't you love it when that happens, especially like the series finale, and you're like, there has to be more than this. I know Michael loves that when like the series is over and it's like, there's got to be more, right? Uh, Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes in the Christmas story, there is more to the story than I think we even realize. Many of us in here, we've, we've heard the Christmas story countless times, and I'm thankful for that. But um, especially, not just this year, but every year, it's very important to understand what the Christmas story is about. And really, it's not just one or two passages. You can really reference a lot of different passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament to truly understand what the Christmas story is all about. Isaiah chapter 9. Go ahead and stand if you would. Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to read verse number 6 this morning and then really dig into it today. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day, Lord. I pray that you would be with us for the next few minutes as we study your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me give me clarity of speech, clarity of mind as I preach the word that you have given me this week. And Lord, I, I'm excited about this message and really the next couple messages in this series. And I pray that you would help us to continue to focus on you. Lord, as we even looked at last week, the fact that Emmanuel, God is with us. Lord, I'm so thankful that we have the present of your presence here on this earth. Even in a year like 2020, where there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of fearful individuals, we still have you. And Lord, we are thankful for that. And I pray that you'd help us today as we look at this aspect of the wonderful counselor. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize all of the important truths that we find in your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, I think sometimes we... We can tend to hype up the story a little bit more and make it more glamorous than what it really is of the Christmas story. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, it was an awesome night of events that transpired. But I think sometimes we can, you know, as we did last week, the the kids did an awesome job with our Christmas program. Susan did an awesome job with that. Uh, But I think we make it a little bit more glamorous than it needs to be. You know, like you got these like cute little sheep and donkeys just kind of sitting there. And you got a donkey laying there with like a little Bo Peep staff and, you know, things like that. And everyone's gathered around. You got the star and they're all huddled around taking an awesome picture and, you know, selfie for Instagram. Uh, I don't think the Christmas story was quite like that. And I think it's important to understand exactly what it was. Jesus was born in a stable. He was born in a manger, which is basically a glorified animal shelter. You know, there was nothing sentimental about that first night. And I'm sure every mother in here would attest to this, that having a baby in a barn without modern medicine probably isn't the most ideal situation. Now, I did watch this John Crist movie the other day uh, about that and like Instagramming all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, it's like, uh, anyway, I'm not gonna get to that because it was pretty funny. You wanna watch it, go ahead and watch it later. But the thing is, people didn't have babies back in barns back in those days for the same reason they don't have babies in barns today. It's disgusting, right? Would you wanna have a baby in a barn? Stephanie, would you wanna have a baby in a barn? Like, you love barns, but (laughs) no, no. Okay, she's good. All right, she's all good. Uh, I don't think most moms in here, there might be one or two, it's like, you know what, I can do it. That's all good. But I don't think most people want to do it because barns are smelly, they're dirty, they're nasty, they stink. Um, You know, there's no really receiving blankets or midwives. Um, One of the books I'm reading for this series, the writer made a great point. (laughs) He said this, he said, "Some people make their manger scenes nice by sprinkling some cinnamon or nutmeg or dousing some other essential oils on it, but if you really want an authentic scene, take some animal dung and rub it around it." So, what we're going to do next year for our Christmas play, we're going to have some animal dung. We're going to get some. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that. We have to really understand the significance. It's very easy to look at the the cute little manger scene that we have, and, oh, it was such a great night. And it is. Don't get me wrong. It was a great night. But the authenticity of it. I mean, really, who would want to have a baby around smelly, stinky individuals and animals? And the thing is that we have to realize is the fact that Jesus and his family were very poor. They couldn't afford anything else. And the Bible says there was no room anywhere else. But I think all of us understand that if you have money, you can find a place, right? If you have money, you can find a place no matter where it might be. But they had no money. They were poor. And we go back to Isaiah and in the reference of this story this morning. The year was approximately 725 BC. The northern kingdom of Israel faced a very ominous and perilous situation from the north. An evil and aggressive Assyrian empire was growing and expanding. The leader had built Assyria to the zenith of its power, and now Shemadisir, the V was poised and ready to attack a morally bankrupt and military-weakened Israel. In 722 BC, Israel was sacked, overrun and crushed in humiliating defeat. Loved ones would be brutally killed. Families would be broken up and destroyed. The land would be devastated and economic havoc would be rampant. The once proud nation would be brought to its knees in shame, humiliation, and judgment. And yet, amid their despair, amid their hopelessness, they receive a word from God that is centered around hope. When you go back to Isaiah chapter 9, just a couple verses prior, verse number 1, it kind of sets the story for us. But look at verse number 2. It says, "...the people that walked in the darkness..." have seen a great light. So everything that's happening in the midst of of the Assyrian empire coming on Judah and Israel at this time, the midst of the darkness, the midst of the hopelessness, Isaiah paints a picture of hope, a picture of light. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light that shall dwell in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them hath the light Shine. So here's what he's saying. All the people that walked in darkness have seen this light. This light has dawned to those in a land of darkness. He continues in verse number 3 where he says, "...that was multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy of the harvest, and as men rejoice as they divide the spoil. You multiplied the nation, yet your joy has increased." And he continues, instead of the bondage that they are seeing and witnessing for the past decade and hundreds of years, really, what we're discovering is this. Isaiah is saying in verse number four, you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. All this I'm saying for a reason. Verse number five, he continues, basically saying, The trampling boot of battle and the the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So, right in the middle of all of this, all of this darkness, Isaiah gives a pronouncement of hope. Light is coming to the darkness. And I know it's very easy, especially in years like 2020, to think: man, is there an end in sight? Is there light at the end of this darkness? Imagine having your land ransacked, having having things that you love taken away from you, your home stripped away from you, family brutally killed in front of you. And I'm sure you're thinking, is this ever going to end? This is the picture that we see in Isaiah's day. And what they wanted, they wanted hope, just as many people today. They want hope. They want to be joyful. And right there in the midst of it, we had referenced it last week that uh, Isaiah had met with the king, and, and he had said, hey, I, I want to give you a sign. I want to give you a sign to, to help you with this. And, and back in Isaiah chapter 7, the sign that he said was, there is a baby that is coming. Now, for most of us, now babies are a great thing, and they do have a pronouncement of hope and joy. But when you're in the middle of war, I'm sure the last thing the king wants to hear is, hey, there's a baby coming. <laughs> Like, all right, we're good. We're going to win now because we're going to have a baby. So everything's going to be taken care of. That's typically not going through our minds. Like, hey, I need military force. I need might. I need more armies. I need more men. I need more people to help us defeat the enemies. But Isaiah is setting the stage for us. What is Isaiah talking about? Who is Isaiah talking about? Who is this hero of the story? As we saw last week, the hero of humanity comes in the form of a baby. And Isaiah 9.6 declares so much hope for us where it says, For unto us a child is born. Now this was a future prophecy and some of it still has not been fulfilled. It will be the day that Jesus comes back in the second coming to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. But it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now right there, this verse declares two things very quickly. It declares the humanity and the deity of our Lord Jesus. This verse declares the humanity and the deity of our Lord Jesus. That this baby that was coming was going to be fully man, yet fully God. You see, God's plan is a person. A messianic ruler unlike any other ruler in the history of this world. Isaiah 9.6 says the government would be upon his shoulders. It's talking about a future prophecy not yet fulfilled. And Isaiah describes this coming king with four names. And we had already referenced one outside of this verse, Emmanuel. But then he says, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. You see, 700 years before the wise men came, Before the angels sang, before the shepherds came, Isaiah explains what James Merritt calls the cornerstone and centerpiece of all prophetic prophecy. And Isaiah starts out with an important adjective about our Savior. He is wonderful. And before I go on, let me just ask this question. How many have ever seen something just truly wonderful? Anybody? Many of us have seen awesome things wonderful things. But the most wonderful thing that has ever come was this baby 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't just stop in the wonder of it all. He continues, wonderful counselor. Literally, this phrase means the wonder of a counselor. And the word wonderful means marvelous, extraordinary, beyond the normal capacity to perform. In other words, the counsel of this God-man transcends human wisdom. He doesn't need or want my counsel or anyone else's counsel. And yet, how many times do we do this? We we try to counsel God. We try to give God the counsel that we think he needs in the sense of, God, let me help you with how my life should be ran, right? So we are trying to counsel God. But let me ask this question. I think I have it up there, guys. Go ahead and throw this up there. Why do people typically go to a counselor? What? They need help. Very good. Why else? Why do people typically go to a counselor? They don't know how to help themselves. They don't know how to help themselves. Yes. They think they're broken. Think they're who said that? Daniel. They think they're broken. What else? David. To confirm what they think they already know. To confirm what they think they already know. <laughs> That's good. What else? Why do people go to a counselor? Some people are probably thinking to waste money, right? No, just kidding. Carmen? Because they're told to go, okay? Solid hand over here. Megan? Someone to, talk to. Someone to talk to, overwhelmed. What else? Anybody else? Marcus? They think there's hope. They think there's hope, yes. How many have ever been to a counselor that has helped you? Anybody? Amanda hasn't, all right. Uh, how many have been to a counselor that hasn't helped you? She's probably raising her hand about me. Um, Yes, (laughs) that's that's another subject for another day entirely. Um, But in the Hebrew language, the word counselor that Isaiah is using translates to, to this. The one who advises us, instructs us, and guides us through problems from a position of authority. Now, a lot of times when you go to a counselor, a lot of times what they do is they mirror what you say. You know, you're talking about your problems and, you know, it's one of those things, yeah, I understand. That must be hard explain to me, right? They, they do things like that. They're trying to mirror, they're trying to provoke different questions. You know, I thought about doing it today. I'm not for sake of time, but I thought about having a little counseling session. You know, I was going to have Cadence come up since she, you know, distracted me last week and just came up in the middle of the service. You know, I was going to have chairs up here and everything set up. We'll wait maybe till next week for that. So just prepare yourself. But anyway, I mean, I, I think that'd be a great idea. Just have her up here. Just, you know, she can talk about all of her problems. I mean, who would like to hear that? I know her parents would. Yeah. Talk about all of her problems and You know, Kevin will be the great counselor that can counsel you. No, no, we're not. All right, we're not going to do that. That is a horrible idea. That's why I decided against it. But a lot of times, you know, counselor, they're going to mirror what you say. You know, things like, oh, man, that sounds horrible. I I can see how that hurt. Or, you know, I I struggle with that, too. But here's the thing that I really want us to understand about Jesus. when, When it says that he is the wonderful counselor. If you're writing notes, write this down. What this means is that Jesus is greater than your therapist. It's a simple truth, but it's very profound. Jesus isn't just some therapist there to try to give you some help here and there. Jesus is far greater than any therapist. Listen to me. Jesus doesn't just understand your situation. He does. He understands what you're going through, but he also has the wisdom to work in your situation and he has the wisdom and the power to help you overcome your situation. Now, that's a pretty awesome counselor, isn't it? There's a lot of counselors that I've talked to and met with that really they didn't have much wisdom, honestly. It's probably myself, but they didn't have much wisdom. They didn't have the power, the authority to really help me through a difficulty, a situation, but Jesus does. He has the authority. He has the power. He has the wisdom. And He is more than one who just listens. I think uh, someone said, you know, someone to listen to, someone to talk to. And that is important. But Jesus is not just someone we talk to. He is so much more than that. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. And I want you to get from this message and what Scripture is saying, understand who Jesus is. Listen, the kind of counsel that Jesus is for each of us is life-changing because He understands each of us. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you will be through or what you will be going through. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, he robed himself in humanity. So he understands human problems. He understands human suffering. At the same time, he is fully God. But in a sense, hey, that that path of pain you feel, I've endured that talking about Jesus. Jesus. You think about the path of pain that he endured on the way to the cross, don't you think that he understands your pain? He does. He went through pain far greater than some of us can ever even know. What about loneliness? Anybody ever struggle with loneliness? I have. Jesus understands that. Temptation. Jesus himself was tempted. Betrayal, loss, heartache. He's walked those roads. And what He is telling us through Scripture is that He can guide us through them because He's already been there. And in a sense, what we learn is that Jesus has everything that we need. And when you study the life of Jesus, and we don't have time to study all of the life of Jesus in one message this morning, but when you study the life of Jesus, especially from the Gospel records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, here's what you discover. Jesus came to help people that had problems. Jesus came to help people that had problems. Anybody have problems today? All right, I'm glad I'm not alone. All of us have problems, but when you think about this, and I want you to understand, especially with the Christmas story, Jesus didn't just come for the elite, for those that had it all together, because if he just came for those that had it all together, he would have come for no one, because no one has it all together. And a lot of times what we like to do is we like to mask our problems because we don't want other people to know that we are struggling, right? We don't want other people to know that we have situations and issues, right, Cadence? Exactly. She has a lot of issues. We don't want people to know that. We don't want people to understand that. So we mask our problems and wear hats. That's what we do. I told you I was going to pick on you. She's been giving it to me. So I said, I get the last word a lot of times. But we do that. We mask our problems and mask our situations. But the thing is, Jesus came for people with problems. And, and and this is the awesome thing: every miracle that He performed stemmed from a real life situation, a real life problem. Did you understand that? So, guy came to Jesus. He was he was blind. I mean, that's a real life situation. That's a real life problem. He didn't just be like, hey. You know what? Just go your way. Everything's going to work out. And in meantime, you know, it, it'll all be good. What did he do? He healed the blindness, but then he also redeemed him. What about the man that couldn't walk? When you when you study it, uh, you think about the very first miracle. What was the very first miracle of Jesus? Turning the water into wine. That was a real life problem. They were out of they were out of drink. They needed something else for the for the wedding party. All of the miracles stem from real life situations, real life real life problems. And it's very important to understand this, and I'm just going to keep hitting it because I want it to to go through in our minds today. Jesus came for people with problems. Yes, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us, but He is also that wonderful counselor. And really, when you think about it, there are really only two qualifications people need in order to know the power of this great counselor. Humility and faith. That's it. Humility and faith. Humility, realizing that I can't heal myself. I can't fix myself. Faith to know that there is someone out there that can fix me, that can help me. You know, you have to realize, first and foremost, like anything, that you have a problem that cannot be fixed. And again, all of us have alluded to the fact that we have problems, right? But we have to also understand that we cannot fix our problem. And I know there are some problems that are so much deeper and you need, yes, you need counselors. We talked about that and referenced that last week in EQ. But the reality is that Jesus can fix any problem, can he not? He can fix any situation. That's why he came. And listen, you have to first realize that you have a problem. It's one of the first steps of helping people, right? And this is where most people stay. This is why people get mad and leave church. They get mad at God because they're not willing to admit that they have a problem. And most people are not willing to admit that they're the problem. <laughs> That's the reality. Again, we know that Cadence is the problem. I'm just going to keep going there. Amen. We know that Mike is the problem. Most of the time, exactly. We know that we're all the problem, but we have to admit that. We have to realize that. And listen, I want you to write these down because this is very important. There are three questions that really need to be asked in our lives. The first question is this. Are you honest with Jesus? I want you to just leave that up there for just a second. Are you honest with Jesus? It's very easy to think, well, he already knows what I'm thinking, right? He knows all the thoughts and everything that I think. You think about when you pray. You know, I've done this. You know, I pray to God and it's kind of one of those things like, God, you know what I'm struggling with. Anybody ever done that? I mean, honestly. I've done that. I do it a lot, honestly. God, you know what I'm dealing with. Like, go ahead and take care of it. Now, I want you to understand. he, He understands that. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're dealing with. But think about in the situation of a counselor. If you go to a counselor and you're like, you know what? You know what I'm dealing with. Go ahead and help me. Do you think they can really help you? No. Because you're not being honest with them. You're holding things back. Justin got first-hand experience of this this week, right? Exactly. <laughs> Use him now. But the thing is, we've all done that. And I, I was kind of giving him a heads-up of the message uh, just sitting in my office. And the thing is, a lot of people aren't willing to be honest with someone else. Let me just stop right there. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're not willing to be honest with someone else? Shame. Shame. Okay. That's good. What else? Reaction. Reaction. What else? What? Scared of what, they think Scared of what they think of you? Yes. What else? Pride. These are good. What else? You say it loud becomes I mean, yeah, if you say it out loud, it suddenly becomes truth. That It goes back to, I guess I do have a problem because we like to try to mask our problems. And if I'm actually saying it to someone, I guess it is true that I have a problem or I am part of that problem. And again, you think about the therapy and the therapy sessions. How can a therapy session really help if you're not willing to be honest about your struggles? But you think about our life with Jesus. Again, He knows everything. But what about the secret parts of your life? What about the secret parts of your life that no one knows, that no one here even knows about? He knows, but the thing is, he still wants us to be honest with him. He still wants us to open up about our particular struggles, about our particular problems, about our worries, about anything and everything. No problem is too little. No problem is too great for God. Right, Mike? No problem. And yet a lot of times in our relationship with Jesus, and you think about this, and I want you to understand this. You have a relationship with someone else. Is it truly going to work if you're not honest and open with Him? Is it? I think wives would all say, no, it's not going to work. If you're not honest and open with me, it's not going to work. So how do you expect our relationship with Jesus to grow closer if we're not even honest and open with Him? So the first question we must ask is this. Are you honest with Jesus? The second question, just as powerful. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? You see, you have to know that you cannot fix your problem. The reality is no one can fix any problem apart from Jesus. And even though you might have gifts and abilities, they've all come from your Heavenly Father. Even as simple as, and I've used this as an illustration before, the ability to tie your shoe. Well, I, I can do that because my parents taught me when I was five years old. No, no, no. Everything you have is still from your Heavenly Father. He has given you the mind and the tools and, and, the, and, and the, the function to be able to do something simple as tying your shoe. But the question is, do we want to be healed? Now, here's a key, key truth with this before I go on. Many people want to be healed, but they don't want to change. Many people want to be healed, but they don't want to change. I think I referenced this a couple weeks ago, too. You know, I think all of us want to be fit, you know, want to be in shape. Uh, I do, too, but I love Krispy Kreme, so it's kind of a struggle. I love Chick-fil-A. A. got some last night. It's a struggle. I know that's, you know, heavenly manna and stuff like that, so it doesn't really count. It's the Lord's carbs. Um, But anyway... um, But you think about that. If I was just, you know, feeding my body with all kinds of junk food like I do at Christmas time every year, uh, I can't expect to just be fit in shape like Ryan over there. I I can't expect to be like that. A specimen right there. I know. I'm just your family. Uh, The the thing is, you can't expect... (laughs) Oh, anyway. Um, You... you... (laughs) It's going off, off offhand. You can't expect to be healed if you're not willing to change. Imagine going to the doctor and they say, All right, you've got this disease, and the only way to change this disease or heal you from this disease is if you do exactly what I say. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna keep doing whatever I want to do, and I'm sure it's gonna work out. Now, good luck with that. It may. God could change you, God could heal you. But the thing is, I want you to understand that many people want to be healed, but they don't want to change. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. We want to be healed. We want to be redeemed, but we don't want to change who we are. We don't want to change our sinful lifestyles. We want to continue living in sin, even though Jesus has redeemed us. He has changed us. He wants us to to give us a life that is going to help us thrive and and produce more joy. But we're like, you know what? I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold things because I just, I don't want to change who I am. And change scares a lot of people. Honestly, change has driven a lot of people from church, not just this church, from a lot of churches, because, well, they're not doing it the way that I wanted it to be done. But it goes back to our relationship with Jesus. People want to be healed, but they don't want to be changed. And I want you to really look inside today and ask yourself, is that you? Because all of us have problems that we've admitted to, and we've probably all gone to someone else that has given us help, and they've directed us in a direction that, hey, if you do this, if you change this, I promise you it's going to help you. And then you're probably like, you know what? I got it. Parents do that with kids all the time. Hey, if you do this, I promise things are going to get better. You know what? I got it. I'm like 10 years old. I got things figured out. That's that's my son, Nate. I am six years old. I've got life figured out. Dad, you know nothing. Well, it's mostly true, but Still. Question number one, are you honest with Jesus? Do you want to be healed? But the third question is this, and this is the most important, are you ready to do what Jesus says? Are you ready to do what Jesus says? Just leave that up for just a second. You know, again, we all have problems, we all have difficulties, we all have struggles, we all have trials and temptations and things that we go through in our lives. Again, going, comparing it to a counselor, a therapist situation, you go to someone that is, you know, well versed, they have a degree in, in so many different things and, and they're, they're the expert, they can really help you and they give you the tools, they give you the steps to help change your life, change the course of where you're going to find a better course but you decide to not listen. In reality, you've wasted a lot of money, you've wasted a lot of time but we do the same thing with Jesus. In His Word, hopefully you're reading it every day, but in His Word, He gives us the answers to life's problems. He really does. And He gives us the answers through preaching and teaching, Sundays and Wednesdays and small groups and this and that. And the thing is, a lot of things that people are struggling with, the answer can be found here. Jesus has said, hey, if you follow this, your life is going to be better. And more than just following this, if you follow me, talking about Jesus, if you follow me, then your life is going to be exponentially better. You know, but here's what I love about this. Here's what I love about Jesus. He didn't come for people who have it all figured out. He didn't come for those who know how to hold it all together. He came for people with problems. He came for the broken, the weak. The mistreated, He came for the misfit toys. He came for the neglected, He came for the abused. Jesus came to give you not what you think you want, He came to give you what you need, and what you need is Himself. So we see first and foremost, Jesus is greater than your therapist. The second thing we see quickly this morning is this, Jesus is the problem solver. Jesus is the problem solver. Paul reminds us that God's judgments and ways are unsearchably deep. In Romans eleven thirty four, it says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? That question still hangs in the air to this day because He is the supernatural counselor in a class all by Himself. One preacher put it this way. He said, God's plan of action is infallibly, wonderfully right. And here's the truth from my own life. As a pastor, sometimes people come seeking counsel. Counsel is great, but it's not the greatest aspect. And stay with me here for a minute. This goes back to our study in the Ecclesiastes, and I think I have it in your notes if you could kind of want to read with me. But a large part of our lives is fighting things in which we cannot change, cannot control. We seek answers that we cannot have to questions that we don't understand. We seek authority and power or judgment over things that we do not possess. We seek to escape that which has power over us that we might have power over it. But here's the reality. When you come to Jesus, you find something greater than just your answers. Because He gives you Himself. Who He is is even greater than what He does. What he does in this specific, specific verse is he is the counselor. He gives counsel. He gives wisdom. But who he is, the person of Jesus, is so much greater than that. Life's greatest discovery is this, finding the problem solver. It's understanding and knowing that Jesus loves you. It's knowing and understanding that you are worth something to him. We talked about that last week in EQ, that many people think that, man, I am worthless look, I struggle with that at times. Why would God want to use a worthless individual like myself to preach, to proclaim, to to do anything? Why would God want to use me? I am nothing special. And the reality is none of us are apart from God, but we are worth everything to Him. Look, you have guilt, you have shame. I think all of us probably do. You have marital problems, sexual desires you can't control. Here's the reality. We are trying to come up with solutions to our mess of a life when Jesus has already given us a solution and the solution is Himself. It's not about changing who you are. It's allowing Jesus to change you into the person He wants you to be. Why did Jesus come? Well, there's so many reasons and answers for this, but He came to extend an invitation to all who are weary and in need of rest. And what you need today is a wonderful counselor. Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden or burdened down, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. You know, here's what this series is about. What I want this series to produce is change. The head change leading to the heart change, leading to the life change. And we mentioned this last week, and we'll mention it again in every different message. The head change of this message is this. To know that no problem is too big for Jesus. No problem is too big for Jesus to handle. No sin is too bad that He will not stop loving us. It's very easy to think, well, my sin is far worse than anyone else's. There's no way that Jesus can love me. There's no way that Jesus can forgive me. But He can and He will. And understand that. The head change, the head knowledge that no problem is bigger than Jesus. No sin is so great that he will not stop loving us. There might come a time where other people stop loving you because the sin is too great. Because in their mind, you have crossed the line. You have crossed the boundary. But that's not true with Jesus. And it's hard to even understand, hard to even comprehend. I asked my wife a question the other day, kind of about all this. And it's like, I, I, I don't understand. All I know is that God is sovereign, that he is in control. And it's hard for us to fathom. But the head change is this. No problem is too big. No sin is too great. But the heart change is this, to feel confident in approaching Jesus for both counsel and guidance. Allowing Him to give us the counsel from His Word, from leaders that have studied His Word, and guiding us along the path that we need to go. Which leads to the life change. To tell Jesus our fears, sorrows, and sins so that we can be healed. It goes back to, are you willing to be honest with Jesus? Yes, He already knows, but I think He still wants us to come to Him. As it said in Matthew 11, come unto Me. He wants us to, to lay our burdens down. Why? So that He can pick them up and He can help them. But tell Jesus your fears, your sorrows, your sins. If you want to be healed, you want to be changed, you have to do what He says. And friends, what we discover about Just this one phrase, Wonderful Counselor. This is the Gospel. Our Wonderful Counselor came to guide us from a world of darkness into joyous light. Our Wonderful Counselor came to guide us from a world of darkness into a joyous light. But I go back in closing to those three questions that all of us need to understand. Are you honest with Jesus? Do you really want to be healed? I think we all want to be healed, but we don't want to be changed or we don't want to change. We don't want to change who we are, what we're doing, and where we're going and how we're living. We just want a better life. I want to continue living the way I want to live, but I want so much more. It doesn't always work that way. Are you honest with him? Do you want to be healed? And are you ready to do what he says? That's what this lesson comes down to. And that's what the Bible comes down to. If you want want a better life, the simplicity is, go to your wonderful counselor, who is more than just the one that gives you advice. He gives you himself. Let's pray.